Hi, everybody. My name is Jared Milrad. I'm the founder of Movie Karma. We're the organization that created our podcast here called Rewriting Hollywood, which I'm sure, as many of you know, uh, is focused on highlighting issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, as well as representation and social impact in Hollywood. We've been really fortunate uh, the past many months to have some incredible guests on our podcast who are doing that work uh, in the industry. And today is no exception. Uh, our guest today is Ezra Edmund, who's an amazing and award-winning writer-director behind the new short film, Bluish. Uh, Bluish is a, is a really fascinating animated short about a boy who's stuck in the middle, torn between uh, being both Black and Jewish and either concealing or embracing his full identity and learning how to create a world where no other child feels the pressure of having to make that choice again. Uh, Ezra is uh, originally from the LA area, Los Angeles, California, and has spent a lot of time uh, developing this project, also has done some really fascinating work uh, in animated content for Disney, for Pixar, Lucasfilm, Google, Lego, many others. Uh, and this film, Bluish, has won awards uh, around the world really now and around the country in film festivals. Uh, and I know Ezra is currently working on a children's book as well, which I'm excited to talk about for release next year, 2023. Um, so Ezra, thanks so much for being on the show. Excited to have you on. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Let's dive right in. Um, so first of all, um, I, your background is obviously really relevant to this story. And it's also a a question we like to ask Ezra at the top, which is just tell us a little bit, if you would, about your background, your origin story, and, and what inspired you to make this project? Sure. So um, I grew up in Los Angeles, like you said, in the San Fernando Valley, um, which is a pretty pretty diverse place, big Jewish population, um, big, big Black population, just kind of depending on the area. Um, and my parents, um, my dad's Black, my mom is Ashkenazi Jewish, so I grew up biracial, um, and in, you know, in, in both cultures, but from a religious standpoint, I guess I did more Jewish things. I went to a, Hebrew, I didn't go to Hebrew day school. I went to a Hebrew school after school. I had a bar mitzvah. Um, I was very much in, you know, in, in, in Jewish, immersed in Jewish culture and identity. And, and that was where my, where my primary like community was as a kid. Um, but I was also one of the only black kids in that space at school there were a lot of other black kids um and, and a lot of other different races of kids which was always awesome but when I was in Jewish spaces it was usually me and maybe if there was like you know a big community retreat where other other groups all got together then maybe there were like one or two other people <laughs> but it was um it was a very limited um space from a diversity space outside of being you know outside of being Ashkenazi Jewish yeah, I wanted to dive more into that because obviously the film covers that experience in some really powerful ways um, in, with an you know, animated approach. What was that like growing up? If you could, you know, expand a little bit more on that, you know, being being from these two worlds, so to speak, of uh, being black and Jewish. Um, and and how did you did you did you learn like coping mechanisms or ways to kind of navigate those two identities that started to work for you, or is it really difficult to just to, to just kind of exists in say a you know fully Jewish world which was I, as you allude to it sounds like it's mostly a, you know white experience yeah I think it was it was interesting because for myself I always felt like me um <laughs> and you know when I was growing up before I was I guess like exposed to communities and the way that other people see each other um I always just felt like myself and I didn't really I wouldn't say like 
you know, oh, I'm black, oh, I'm Jewish, or, or I'm black and Jewish, or, you know, there wasn't a divide um, or anything. It was just like, this is me, and this is my family, and my family is very diverse as well. Um, so it was just kind of like, this is what we're all up to, um, generally speaking. And then as I got older, I started realizing that more, that there were more black people who were, who were Christian, um, you know, or, or not just Christian, but just more specifically not Jewish, um, than, than I realized. And that kind of made me start thinking like, oh, you know, when I'd be talking to people, I'd make a joke or I'd be saying something. It, it wouldn't land in the same way that it would, you know, culturally speaking with like Jewish friends. And that kind of made me feel a little bit like, hmm, okay. Um, and then same difference of when I went to start doing more Jewish specific things. If I went to summer camp or I went to a youth group event or, you know, Hebrew school, then all of a sudden I started realizing like, oh, this is interesting. There's no one else here that's like me. Um, because people would say like, oh, you know, are you really Jewish? How are you Jewish? Who's Jewish? Your mom or your dad? Are you Ethiopian Jewish? And, you know, all of those questions that come from people who've never been exposed to somebody like me before, which is just genuine curiosity. But when you're asked those questions all the time, then it's like othering because like, well, everybody's wondering and, <laughs> and trying to figure out how you fit in. So, you know, it's it, like, to me, being black and being Jewish was always synonymous as the same thing. And, and like I said, like, I'm just me and that's, that's what it is. But outside, it's, it seems like there's lots of people want to understand people by putting different boxes or labels or et cetera on like, you know, like, oh, you can speak to this because you have black identity. Oh, you can speak to this because you have Jewish identity. And, you know, I could see myself in a situation where if I didn't say I was Jewish, someone might go, well, how can you have an opinion on that? Uh, it's hmm. like, oh, I'm Jewish. And then you also have to start justifying to like get in the, to get in the box so that you can speak about your identity. And I feel like we're kind of in like an outing culture in that way right now. Hmm. It's like, if you don't upfront say, this is my identity, et cetera, et cetera, then people aren't going to listen to what your perspective is because like, how could you know you're not one of et cetera, et cetera, you know? Right. You're not one of this in group. So therefore you're, we assume that you are fully of this out group. Yeah. You're speaking no. as an outsider, you know, and, mm -hmm. and a lot of people aren't comfortable by saying like, oh, I'm Jewish or, you know, being, being Jewish is a hidden thing. Just like, I feel like there's a similarity between that and LGBTQ identity. It's a hidden thing unless you want it to be, you know, even, even people who look stereotypically Ashkenazi, might not be Jewish. There's not like a real look of how you can be, but mm -hmm. you know, there, there's a, okay, once you say it, then you, then you are it. And being black is the total opposite of that. Generally speaking, there are some white appearing black people, of course, but they're, but across the board, it's like, oh, that's a black person. And, and that black perspective is always being seen from that space. Right. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. And I think something that people should, you know, think about, which is kind of gives them the next question, which is, for people that don't have multiple identities or feel like they don't have multiple identities. I mean, I think in many ways we, um, you know, I like the idea that we all kind of come out about something and some point in our lives. Um, Absolutely. Right. And whether it's your point, whether it's being LGBTQ plus, whether it's any, anything, um, obviously with different, differing levels of gravity and importance in our lives. But do, do you feel like there's something that people should know about the experience of people who do carry these multiple cultural or racial identities around? Like, if we had a, if, if we were able to live in your shoes, you know, say, say now as you're an adult or even growing up, um, like uh, what would you want people to, to know or, or sort of understand maybe to build a little bit of empathy with your experience? Sure. I feel like at least in, in, in just speaking from like 
biracial identity or you know or just any multi-identity facets in that way like I think that there there are pieces that are good bridge builders between those factors that exist in other people that don't always overlap um for for example like and I have I guess two points to this for example you know I see so many commonalities between between black history and and Jewish history of course there's not like a one-to-one because everybody's from different parts of the world everybody even in America has arrived here or been brought here for totally different reasons at different times so there's lots of things that aren't similar but there are lots of you know common goals um from a community aspect there's there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities that that I've that I've seen um which I think is interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I've, I've seen that I was reading an article about someone who was Chinese and Jewish today. And I was seeing just a lot of, you know, what they were drawing as similarities between, you know, their Jewish culture and their Chinese culture. And it made me think like, well, if I'm not Chinese, but I'm black and Jewish and I, and I can find the bridges between being, being black and being Jewish. And this other person can find the bridges between being Jewish and being Chinese. And there must also be bridges between being, black and being Chinese that aren't just routed through Judaism, of course, but there mm. has to be other ways that that's similar. And I think when, when people have multiple identities in them, and, and to your point, I think everybody does to a degree, um, you can start finding that, that empathy. Um, but at the same time, I think sometimes there's also like kind of an outcast nature of, of having a, a confident label, I guess, of, of multiple identities, because then people who aren't on that same page in in terms of their own life approach sometimes tend to be kind of like othering because they're like well you said you're also this so therefore you're not just what i am and therefore you're not like me and that can be kind of Mm -hmm. rough as well just like you know people who people who are you know gatekeepers on jewish identity and they're like well if you're mother's not Jewish, you're not Jewish, or if you're not Orthodox, you're not Jewish, or if you're not, you know, there's a lot of people who are just like looking for ways to make you not Jewish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I found in black communities, there's, there's jokes like, oh, you're not acting black enough, or, you know, you're not, you're not being black enough through this or that, or, you know, just because the, you know, the culture doesn't tie in as much when someone's black and not Jewish to Jewish culture, that there's a lot of pieces like, oh, well, that's not what we're all up to. So like, are you really black? Is like, what's going on? Um, and I think people just kind of have that, have that nerve as well. So it's like, it's like a bridge builder to two communities that don't necessarily want the bridge to be built. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. It's like, stop building the bridge. I don't, I don't want to be connected. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but, but to your point, there is so much shared history, isn't there, between black and Jewish communities, I mean, at least in the United States, I've always been struck just as a Jewish person, even, um, and then having done some civil rights work for, in law school, for example, where, you know, our, our head professor was, was a black woman, and like, we would have these conversations around, and, you know, go to the deep south and work on like cold cases, for example, from the civil rights era, and you start to realize there's, you know, a lot of fallen Jewish and black, mostly men and, and women, too, mm-hmm. who've who you know literally died together because they were freedom fighters and and sort of shared that same same ethic and ethos. Like, why do you think that that is? Like, do you think there's sort of a shared sense of struggle, or, or and does that is that something that you know you kind of appeals to you, or maybe even your parents were thinking about that connected them? I don't know. No, sure. I think I think that there is a lot. Like, you know, it, it's again, it's not a one to one because like 
Jewish Jewish enslavement was so very long ago, um, <laughs> so 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 very long ago. But the idea of Passover of gathering together as a community, so celebrating liberation, trying to uplift others, is something that in my mind always aligned with um, Juneteenth and the and the idea behind that. Of course, one is much more recent, so there's still like much more current effects being felt by that, but. It's still similar in terms of communities getting together to celebrate these these things and, and also trying to say, like, never again are we going to let this type of stuff happen, you know? Um, I feel like there's, there's so many cultural similarities of, you know, singing together. There's so many, you know, Jewish, Jewish songs that have come about of survival and, and migration and, and songs that tell stories and oral history. I think that's really similar in, in Black communities as well of, of singing to get through times and, and oral history, telling stories and, you know, making sure people don't forget the past. And, you know, and, and of course, like when, when Jewish people moved here um, and Black people were brought here, both, both were ostracized. They were not in the same way, but both weren't allowed to participate in, in the community the same way as a white straight Christian male was by, you know, not by a long shot, even though it was totally different treatment. And because of that, a lot of people ended up living in, you know, similar areas that were on the outskirts of bigger cities, um, bonding together, and I think seeing each other's struggles. Um, I know Ezra Jack Heaps, the writer who wrote The Snowy Day, um, mm. you know, he was a Ashkenazi Jewish guy, but he lived um, in New York, right, in, in a Black neighborhood, and he always saw you know, all these kids outside playing and, and he was an illustrator and he thought, um, hey, you know, when I when I finally get to make my own book, I want to make it about these kids. And he did a lot of work for ages, um, working, illustrating other people's books. And there were no black children in any illustrated books because black people weren't even allowed to illustrate books, mm. you know, or to encourage or allowed to. And he got his first publishing deal that wasn't illustrating somebody else's book. And he said, um, I'm going to make it about this black kid who I see outside of my neighborhood all the time. And that book was The Snowy Day, which was such a popular hit. And there was a black kid, a black face on the cover of this book. And, you know, a lot of people, and it changed everything for illustration. And a lot of people said, like, how can you identify with, you know, with a black kid? Because again, like I was saying before, like totally different, like not seeing how, even though they live on the same blocks and this guy's observing these kids playing, I can identify with the black kid, you're not black. And there was a lot of kind of like controversy around that, but that also opened the door for black illustrators and opened the door for more black stories to be told. And I recently found a book um, that was about, that was about the snowy day and it's told in a similar style and art style and, and writing style, but it's written by a black author. And it just shows how him starting to do that and seeing that there was a need there and, and creating that space allowed someone else to, because even though he faced injustice, he realized that he was facing less than this other person was, and he could start that. And it's funny, just reading that controversy piece that people were, you know, kind of being like, how can you write this story, made me feel like, but that sort of relates to me because my grandpa is a Ashkenazi or was an Ashkenazi guy from New York. And I'm obviously mm. black and I was a kid. And when I was a kid, that felt like my story to me. So it just, you know, I think there's just so many ways that you can that you can connect and find those moments and, and help pave the way for others. I don't know if that was an exact answer mm. to your question, but it kind of like got no, yeah. thought. <laughs> no, it's a great segue too, also into 
my next question, which which is which is about your film, and because I think you know you talked about yeah these opening the door into illustration, and which gets me thinking about animation and telling stories that can impact folks and in positive ways, hopefully. And so I, I wanted to ask about Bluish, like what what inspired you to tell to tell this story now? I mean, I know it's your own story, but obviously we we see kind of the film through the lens of a you know a kid character who's who's going through a boy who's going through some of these experiences so i guess two part questions are why tell it now and and how did you decide around the format of hey i want to do this in animated form yeah so i guess for animation um just to answer that first i i love animation i've loved animation since i was a kid um i love that it's something where you create art you can tell stories you can create worlds everything you're doing is just custom and you can and you can make it and tell anything that you want. Um, and I've always thought that that was really powerful for animation. A lot of people describe that as like, you know, telling anything you want. It's like, here's a story with like, it can only be done in animation because of, you know, there's a big giant dragon and there's this crazy thing happening and they're all transforming and like nobody in real life can do that. But I think that Bluish was also a story that could really only be told effectively in animation. I think that if it was a live action story, and if it had dialogue and the film doesn't have dialogue, um, it would come across as preachy. It would come across as, you know, just like a personal catharsis and, and, and it would feel heavier because you're watching a real kid go through something. Um, and I don't feel like it would hit the right tone that being able to be illustrated almost like a children's book um, just in animated motion is. You don't have voices that are distracting you. You don't have dialogue lines that are super on the nose where it feels like, you know, I'm just trying to yell and like vent out about my life and, and be artsy in that way. And I think that having it be something that a kid can watch and relate to and a parent can watch and relate to and, you know, animated characters don't look exactly like real people. So when you look at the characters, you're kind of projecting personalities onto them. You're projecting a, oh, that's that guy. And maybe it's someone you think about. Mm -hmm. And a scene without dialogue, you're projecting in like, this is how I feel in this moment. So whether you're black or anything, you can see a kid be sad and you can see a kid have an angry look on his face or whatever. And, and you can kind of build the story in your own head and, and you're telling yourself hmm. what the story is. Um, but for the reason I wanted to tell that story is, you know, I think growing up, I never really realized that there wasn't a lot of black and Jewish representation. Um, I realized there wasn't a lot of black content because you see like movies that would come out that would be like the black movie. There'd be like the, mm. you know, the big mama's house or the like, or, you know, there'd be like the, this is the movie of the summer. That's like, that's the movie audience. Yeah, exactly. Here's soul play. This like, is your movie for the year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and you'd be like, okay, well, you know, there could be some more once in a while, there'd be another movie. There'd be like a good Spike Lee movie, or there'd be a movie that was serious, not goofy comedy, but it was very obvious as a kid, like, there's some shows on UPN, there's other networks that don't have any black shows at all, or maybe there's like one black mm -hmm. side character and that was visually very obvious. And to me, it was always very visually obvious. There weren't any Jewish stories really being told either. You'd see the Rugrats special, or you'd see like an episode of Pepper Ann or, you know, one little thing here, there are eight crazy nights and you're like, okay, cool, that's the allotment. Uh, <laughs> there'd never be a you know, there'd never be a new special, like you get a Christmas special every year, there'd never be a new Hanukkah special or a, or a Rosh Hashanah special or anything like mm -hmm. that. So to me, both pieces always felt like they weren't really there. Um, but I guess I'd never really thought about Black and Jewish storytelling because 
I really felt like I was the only person who was, and I felt like, well, of course, like no one's telling the story, nobody else is. Um, <laughs> and you know, and I and you hear people, you hear people say like, oh, you know, Lenny Kravitz is Jewish, like that's I feel like one of the most common things when when someone meets a black Jewish person, they're like, oh, you're black and Jewish, like Lenny Kravitz or like Sammy Davis Jr. And it's like, okay, great, so we've got like two people <laughs> through history, but yeah. then you look at at real life, and there's so many people there's so many black and jewish people in in modern in modern times in, in past times there's there's you know there's many people who are who are born jewish there's many people who have converted later um and, and found you know that to be the culture they wanted to embrace later in life but either way there's a lot of there's a lot of black and jewish people around and as i started realizing that it made me think why are there any black and Jewish stories being told? And I was kind of just bummed out about it. Um, and then I was at a bookstore one day and I saw a, like an Ashkenazi mom, I think she was Ashkenazi and she had two kids that seemed like they were biracial as well. And she was just kind of lamenting because they were looking for a book um, in the, in like a, not the Jewish section, but they were clearly looking for like a Jewish book. Um, and the mom was just kind of saying like, oh, I wish there were some books for my kids. And, you know, I was just running through the bookstore really quick. And I was like, oh man, I wish I could stop and just like do a drawing for these kids that was like someone black and Jewish mm. and be like, hey kids, I'm black and Jewish, you know? And, <laughs> and you know, and I didn't do any of those things because it would have been kind of odd, I think, at that at that <laughs> moment in that context. But mm -hmm. it's the, 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 but that stood out to me. And I started thinking like, dang, you know, there were so many people who could have made these stories when I was a kid. It would be nice to just do one whether it's a picture or a short film and animated shorts are, are something that I'm really comfortable working in that format. So I thought, hey, this is how I can kind of be the person who's doing the representation for kids now who still don't have that stuff and, you know, and also kind of have hindsight for my own childhood where I didn't have that stuff either. Um, mm. And that was why I decided to, uh, to tell it in animation. And that's why I decided to tell that story. Yeah, that's really neat. Um, and, and a really impactful, you know, example, tangible example of how you can really touch people, especially young people, um, and seeing themselves on screen. Um, I was curious at that point, like, what has the impact been so far? Have you heard from, you know, the festivals you screened at or uh, folks who've watched it? Um, both, you know, strangers maybe reaching out to you or people that have said, hey, I, I see myself in this or this is really cool. Um, or even just your own family members, like what is the reaction then? Yeah, you know, and when I was making it, I was really afraid <laughs> in the beginning because I was like, oh, I'm telling a personal story. <laughs> and and I see like, that's why people tell lots of fantasy and sci-fi and stuff is because it's scary to tell a personal story, especially something based in their life. Because, you know, I was like, oh no, what if my parents see it or my family sees it and and they or, or my friends see it from who were my friends when I was that age and who were Jewish or not Jewish and they're like oh no did you think did you think I hated you the whole time I was trying to be sensitive and 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 I didn't mean anything and it, was this how you were feeling and I didn't want people to feel like retroactively bad for something that they could not go back and change at all <laughs> and that was like <laughs> right. you know just my own nerves about it. I know some people be like whatever who cares they should know but like for me I was like ah, I don't want to just like upset people like you know I'd rather if I was bothered by these people I would have rather talked to them than have to be upset by a film mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but when when the film was 
when the film was made and, and finished. So I didn't tell anyone I was working on it until it was done. <laughs> wow. And and when it was finished, I and, you know I showed everybody and, and everybody had a really positive response and 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 nobody took it personally and and that made me feel really good and more confident about it and then as it went out to festivals um we submitted to a couple initial festivals and then it really started just getting into things on its own because and, and i think the pandemic really helped in a way because festivals need virtual allowed a lot more people to attend them than mm -hmm. normally would um and I would start, and we started getting emails that said people wanted to do screenings, synagogues wanted to do screenings, schools wanted to do screenings, uh, other festivals wanted us to be in them. And now we've had a pretty solid run of just people reaching out, you know, sometimes one, sometimes five, six people a week saying, hey, you know, we really want to see it. How do we see it? How do we organize a screening or a, or a uh, syllabus that we can go over and, and have with our you know, the kids in the school or at the synagogue and the youth groups and stuff. And that's been really, really cool to see people just responding positively and wanting to use it as a, as a tool and, and feeling good about it. And, you know, and then I feel like with, um, with the, what was I about to say? Um, what was the second half of your mm. question? Well, just around, yeah, I mean, just reaction both from audiences in public, but also your own oh. family members. Right. And so yeah. the reaction <laughs> from audiences, of course, has been, has been really cool. Um, because like in my family, like I said, we're all very diverse, but I'm the only person who is, who is of a black Jewish combination. Um, everyone else is a different combination. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in, in watching, there's been a lot of people who have attended who are black and Jewish. Black and Jewish people have reached out to me. Some people who have been journalists have reached out to written articles. And, um, <clears throat> and, some, and some of the most impactful stuff has been, you know, when a parent has found the Instagram account um, and sent me a picture of their kid. And, and, you know, someone sent me a picture of their kid and their kid was named Ezra. The kid looked exactly like me when I was a kid. And there's this adorable kid with a little key on. And I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, and, and, I've, and there's been other kids who have come on and we've had like a Zoom Q&A and have said like, Oh, you know, I can show this at school now, um, and I don't have to explain how I'm feeling. I can just be like, watch that film, and then you'll get how I'm feeling without me having to explain it. And I think that's the value of this type of representation and storytelling is if you tell someone that something is bugging you, people tend to look at it as just a you problem. Um, mm. If you were to say, hey, you know, I feel like what you're saying is insensitive, or it's just like, we'll stop being so sensitive, everyone else seems to be fine. And that can tend to be people's gut reaction. But when someone can see a second thing, or if you have two people standing next to each other, and two people are like, we feel this is insensitive, that carries more power. And if there's a film saying, hey, this is how some people feel, then nobody has to explain that. People just see it and they process it because you can't yell at a film. You can't be defensive at a film. Mm -hmm. You just take it in and you're like, okay, cool, whatever. And then next time you see someone, maybe you're like, oh, that's like what the film was. And hopefully it just saves kids' conversation. And, you know, and, and it sounds like it's been doing that in some ways so far. So I hope we can get it out more publicly soon. Um, so more people can just see and enjoy it and, and share it with each other. Yeah, that's really awesome. I and mean, I think it's a good point around 
like people can you know people yell, yell at art all the time but, but it, there's something about it being to a personal experience it's sort of like you can't you know you can't argue with with your lived experience like this mm-hmm. is this is my experience and, <laughs> you know it can make you it can make you can have a reaction to it but you can't argue with the truth of it and there's something really powerful about that yeah and, and you know it's funny just to share one more anecdote when i was mm-hmm. telling the story i i got caught up for a little bit of is this the right representation? Because I had heard so many people um, online and stuff saying, oh, you know, everyone thinks that all Black Jewish people are biracial. Um, and, you know, obviously it's not the case. There's, there's plenty of Black Jewish people that are not biracial, not Ashkenazi at all, and not even Ethiopian people. Like there's, mm-hmm. plenty, of, there's plenty of people that are don't fall into the same identity I do. And, you know, people were saying, you know, I saw one person tweet once that was like, I hope when I see that bluish short that there's that there's both black parents. And it, because I don't know how they even heard of the short, but, <laughs> but it was just something that was floating around in the in the public zeitgeist, I guess. And you know, and I started thinking like, oh no, am I telling the wrong story? Are there enough story? Are there too many stories of because you look around and you see a lot of a lot of black, a lot of Jewish stories, especially now tend to be biracial kids stories. It's someone who's, you know, who's Jewish and Hispanic or Jewish and black or, or Jewish and Asian. And, and there's, and they're, and they're telling those stories. And sometimes it feels in my mind from a Hollywood perspective, like they're trying to say still Jews can only be Ashkenazi, um, mm. but you can be biracial and still Jewish. And, you know, and I didn't want this short to come across that I was saying that, um, and so I thought for a while, like, is this bad to be showing my my mom in the short as Ashkenazi, even though she lives in real life? And and is it can I be helping more by making it a fully black family? And then I stopped. And to your exact point, I thought like that's not my experience. That's not that's that's mm-hmm. not my story. I didn't grow up in that space. The story instantly becomes inauthentic when I'm the person telling it this way. Um, and trying to make it as if my life was that. And then it also puts like some weird shame on your own family and your own life identity. <laughs> and, you know, which is mm. something I didn't want to come across of either. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm really happy I didn't do that. There's two kids in the short that do both have black parents at, and you see them very, very briefly at the end because I really wanted to make sure that there was, even if it, because I could only fit it in such a short short and I was out of budget, but I still wanted it to be there for just a split mm. second. Um, but it was something that I was really back and forth on. Like, am I, should I be telling my own story? Is there enough? Is there too much? And, and then to go back to the response, there's so many people who are in these spaces that are biracial who don't feel like there is enough representation that it made me still very happy that I told it authentically. And I think that that was the right way to go <laughs> yeah i would say so too i mean you can tell too i think it it speaks you know it it connects i think in part because or in large part because it's your story and because it's truthful and that idea of not shading the truth um you know kind of like not letting yourself get your ego get in the way in a way of like the story you want to tell is a really hard thing for anyone especially when you're telling a personal story um the last two questions i had are just sort of around, one around i mean both really on the current moment we're in Sure. the time we're in and in, in, in the places in which this film lands 
like the first part, I guess, is around, you know, we've seen upticks in violence and hatred and, and fear around people who are who are different, uh, obviously against the black community uh, in this country, also against the Jewish community. I feel like those are kind of going hand in hand with replacement theory and sort of some of the, the bonkers, you know, really yeah, hateful absolutely. stuff, that vile stuff that's out there, um, which we know now has led to violence in multiple instances. Like, how does that, how does, how do you think the role of art in, in a project like yours, if you feel like there's a role for it, you know, can can have or can play in, you know, maybe opening some minds, opening some hearts in this current time in which we live. Like, do you feel like we should have more of these types of screenings and 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 dis discussions of ex folks with experiences like yours, or is that you know just part of the puzzle here? What do you what do you think about that? I think more real stories helps people connect. You know, and I think I think when people see, I think when people don't know people, and I think people tend to stick in their in their groups a lot for safety, and 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 groups in community and, and safety in numbers, and, and I think that's smart, <laughs> you know, just objectively <laughs> speaking. Um, but I also think that there's a negative counterpoint to that because all of a sudden people don't get to know people. There's there were kids I met who were Jewish and not black when I was a kid, and they had never met a black person before because there had no, never been one in their space. They weren't racist right. people um, and they weren't out to be haters, but like they just had never met anybody because that group was smaller. And there's also lots of black people that have met Jewish people. There's lots of white supremacists that have never met literally anybody else. And, and, <laughs> and they just only hear what's in, you know, in, in propaganda as to news and articles and they're not exposed to anything so they only have this this idea of the other it's almost like you know 200 300 400 years ago if you lived in a different country and you were just told lore about what happens over there it's like well i have no idea and maybe they are all monsters and they're you know and, and that's all crazy over there and, and i think that the more real stories that there are the more people start to go oh that character didn't act like I think a Jew acts. Oh, that character didn't act like I think a black person acts like. And it starts to create this like, oh, if that person's different, maybe you see two pieces of content and you're like, oh, these two people also both behave differently. So maybe they're both outliers, but they both mm -hmm. don't behave the same as each other. And I think the more that you see that, the more you understand and the more you're open to, to meeting people because you don't have this preconceived bias. Um, I like to use Christmas as an example. I think everybody understands Christmas because we have seen so many different specials. We've, we've all seen religious angled specials or at least trailers for those. We've all seen the cultural Christmas specials, which have been told many different ways. Um, we've all seen, um, we've all probably gone to somebody's house and celebrated Christmas before because we're all given the day off for Christmas. And if you go to a black family or a Hispanic family or an Asian family's house and, or, you know, and anyone in those, in those groups from different countries and communities, you've seen that people do it all differently. People are having tamales or people are having a turkey or people are, and everyone's doing it differently. And you know, there's not one way to celebrate Christmas and you know, not everybody is up to the exact same thing. And I think that that is such a good example of if everybody got different holidays off and everyone was given Rosh Hashanah off and Diwali off and all the other holidays that are there that people don't always understand because 
they have to work that day, but like you can take mm. that holiday off if it's your holiday. So like you go back to your bubble and you celebrate, you know, Purim and everyone else is just grudging on ahead. But then all of a sudden everything halts for like one specific community and religion's celebration of culture and therefore everybody understands it. Um, I think that that's one of those things that the more representation there is and the more people are encouraged to be exposed to those things, the more people understand each other and the less the less like blind violence there is. There's still always be like violence, but I think it just increases for the reasons you're saying. People are like afraid that these others are coming to like take what's theirs. And, <laughs> and then there might be someone who they know who is Jewish and just never said it before because they're like, these people don't like Jews, but they don't want to be the one who's trying to challenge that, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. trying to challenge that stereotype because what happens to them first, you know, if, if they're the first person who, who says anything. So I think that's a, that's a role that the media can play really well and, and, and offset the, the risk that an individual has to take to try to mm. Yeah, I agree. And it's tough and it's such a fragmented um, media environment as well, right? We're trying to reach people like this, which goes to my last question, which is, you know, I, this notion of inclusion and equity and representation in Hollywood itself, specifically, which you're in, um, like, how do you, how would you evaluate, um, you know, Hollywood's efforts thus far, lack of effort in some ways? On, on those issues in terms of increasing that representation, increasing, you know, bringing more of these stories to people so that they're not, so that they do, because this may be, to your point, like the only time that people see the other groups or groups that not, they're not part of. And we know now that these are kind of life and death issues that, you know, if, if folks aren't exposed at a young age or an early age to, to, to these groups, it can have an impact on their behavior. So how do you evaluate what Hollywood's doing or not doing on this question? And also like, what would you like to see change maybe in terms of how Hollywood thinks about these issues? I think right now there's a struggle between the preconceived audience and then, you know, marginalized communities as an audience. And, and I think that that's like kind of what Hollywood is struggling between right now. Because when they say the audience, they generally mean everybody who is like, you know, your middle class, white, standard suburban movie going family. Because if they didn't say that was the audience, mm -hmm. going back to the idea of like, they're making the one holiday special for Jews, or here's the black movie for the summer, those wouldn't be made that way. Um, there's, there's a clear indication of this is who the consumer has been and I think that consumer has become that because that's who was making the content more or less. I know there were of course yeah. Jewish producers for, for a very long time and, and Jewish people all throughout Hollywood from the very beginning but again a lot of their content isn't featuring Jewish identity and Jewish storytelling right. because mm -hmm. that wasn't perceived that it would sell it wouldn't hit the masses it wouldn't and so the audience has become you know kind of like it's, it's a beast that like ate its own head it wasn't given the content and now it doesn't want the content and it's not mm -hmm. perceived to want the content because no one ever gave it to it <laughs> yeah exactly that's a loop an endless loop yeah exactly and then yeah. you have you know hey well we have to do representation for marginalized communities as if marginalized communities i'm doing air quotes since this is a podcast uh so they know <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah like with with marginalized communities quote unquote the the trouble is, is now it's like saying, hey, let's give them something. And it's not always saying, let's give everyone something that features these people. It's, it's the same reason I don't love the Jews of color label. Um, mm. Because I think that 
One, depending on who you're asking, all Jews are Jews of color. Two, saying Jews of color is also like saying this alienate is alienating in a way. Mm, um, yeah. I think it's important right now because there are Jews who are not Ashkenazi, who are not getting the same exposure and, and inclusion. And, and I think that it's a phrase that's necessary to start the conversation on equity. Yeah. But I also think that at some point, there shouldn't be like, oh, here are some Jews and a Jew of color because <laughs> that's so weird. <laughs> yeah, Michael, Michael Che has a, has a joke, I think in his new um, sketch show where he's talking to a white woman in the show and the white woman's mm -hmm. like, well, people of color. And he's like, I'm black. Like I picked a color, like just say black. Like it's kind of true, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's just like a weird other way of othering too while trying to be inclusive. And, and I think mm -hmm. that that's kind of what's happening with a lot of content. I think that like Marvel is doing a really good job. I think there's a lot of folks that are doing a good job of just being like, here's a mainstream movie. Here's some folks in it. You know, like this is who, who we're casting and we're just going ahead with this. And and it doesn't feel like it's saying, here's a movie for this or this specific piece, but mm. too much of it to me in general across the board feels like people creating things in an apologetic, let's create representation way and not like just a, you know, uh, like an excited, we're just telling the story, this is gonna be our big movie. You know, like people still didn't think Black Panther was gonna do well and it did do so well. And then like yeah. Shang-Chi was coming out and people were still like, well, what if Shang-Chi doesn't do too well? And it was like, but you know, it's going to, it's it's a well-made, amazing, exciting yeah, movie. Right. It's good, yeah, it's a good story. Mm. It's going to do well, but there's still that thought of like, maybe we have to make it. And and you see, you see that weight all the time of, if we make a movie with an LGBTQ plus lead, will the audience be big enough to counter the loss that we're going to get from the people who hate seeing movies with LGBT, mm. LGBTQ plus leads. Yeah. And, and that's like the, if this movie has a black lead, will the black audience come out and support this film so we don't lose the money that we know we'll make if this movie has a white lead because mm. that audience will accept it. And that's the, the pull back and forth that I don't like seeing happen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a really strange pull. You're right. It's this really sort of tokenization and also just, yeah, so many assumptions about what the market is. And also, I think just in a, it's almost a, um, a big assumption about that people are so like hateful or stereotypical, they just won't watch a movie, even if it's a great story, mm -hmm. you know, with someone who is different from them, which doesn't really seem to pan out if you look at movies like, you know, the Black Panthers of the world that have done incredibly well and are largely cast that are not like most of the American population. Yeah, it's because people took the time to put the right amount of budget into that movie and, and put the right amount of crew who were skilled onto that movie and they made a really good movie. If, if it didn't have the yeah. budget, it wouldn't look like a good movie, so nobody yeah. would see it. <laughs> exactly, which usually is sort of the, what happens. I have a friend who's an actor, Indian-American actor, who made a show that got picked up on a major network and just didn't have the marketing support when you look at the numbers um in terms of what the network spent on the show and that literally affected the outcome of the show so it's sort of like you're kind of you're damned if you do damn you know, we'll make your yeah, show yeah. but we're not going to invest in marketing it so then oh no it didn't work out like what you must be a bad story you know yeah exactly so, yeah mm, yeah
So, but no, this is, this is great. I'm so glad to have you on again. Our guest today, uh, Ezra Edmond, the writer director of the new film Bluish. I hope folks will get a chance to check it out when it's more widely available or, or your uh, local festival when it comes there. Um, uh, Ezra, it's really honor having you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you, Jerry. This was really fun. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, thank you. You're welcome.